Game Changers. Game Changers. And uh, today I'm going to take Game Changing Faith, which is really exciting because we've got 10 days prayer and fasting. I want to try and encourage you to engage with that today because this is what I really believe, church. I really believe with all my heart uh, and with everything I am, I believe our biggest victories happen in the prayer room. Do you know what I mean? I believe uh, moves of God are birthed in the prayer room. And a prayer, kind of like in that prayer kind of closet, you can see what God is doing. You can see uh, Exeter, you can see Exmouth, you can see Devon and the world through God's eyes. And it stirs up faith. Faith stirs up to action. And uh, we can just begin to see and speak and just begin to do incredible things. I believe we are coming to an incredible season of what God wants to do. That's what I believe. Does anybody else believe that? And this is what I think. I think that, wait, that's the present. No, it's not... That's just me stamping on the... Is that your guitar, Andy, mate? I'm sorry, you know. Uh, it just kind of like fell. And uh, so this is what I think. This is what I really do believe. Thank you, Josh. I really do believe that we are coming into an incredible season. And I really believe that God wants to... Yes, he wants to add people to us. New people are coming all the time. And we believe people are going to continue to be saved. And uh, put it this way, you know, if, if God... Um, uh, uh, if God wants to move, churches will grow. And churches will grow all across the region and all across the city and all across the nation. And I believe God wants to, to do something new, do something fresh. So I want to take a look at somebody from the Bible and I want to stir us up and encourage us as well. I want to look at some people in history that God used. They saw something and they spoke something into being and they moved and in action on their faith. And uh, the person in the Bible I want to look at is somebody called Elisha. Elisha, a man of God. In Israel, he was a prophet. And Elijah, uh, a lot of you know or have heard of Elijah, Elijah was a great prophet. God used him in his generation. And God used Elijah mightily. And uh, at a time when Israel was kind of like backsliding, and a lot of people were, were kind of worshipping the idols and the Baal, and God used Elijah to bring Israel back to the realization that there's only one God, and uh, that our God is the God of gods. There's no other God but our God. And so God used Elijah for that. And uh, Elisha, God used Elisha in a very different way. You see, Israel, because of their sin and backslidings, they were open to attack from, the, from enemies, and a particular enemy, enemy, Aram. They had surrounded Israel. They were raiding Israel. They were mistreating Israel, all of this stuff. And God used Elisha to stir up Israel uh, to the victories and to peace uh, and to uh, you know, freedom from Aram. So this is what happened. Elisha, he's... Uh, mowing his, he's not mowing his long, he's ploughing his fields with some oxen. Elijah comes up to him and throws his jacket on him and just walks away. Now, me or you, if anybody did that to us when we're just mowing our garden on a, Sunday, or on a Saturday morning, we're going to think this person's a bit crazy. But Elisha knew what was going on in that instant. Elisha, I'll tell you this now, Elisha had a relationship with God before Elijah came and threw his old coat on him. Elisha had a relationship with God. This is why I know Elisha had a relationship with God, because he knew straight away. This is the man of God who served his generation, and he knew symbolically what was happening was that God was calling him to serve his generation. There was a transferring going on. And I believe we're in a seasoned church. I really believe this. You know, as a country, as a nation, we've seen many great moves of God in this country. And we've seen missionaries sent all over the world. But there needs to be a transferring now for our generation to realise and to hear and to see the gospel and to see that Jesus is alive. I'm ready for a transferring of that anointing. 
It's the same anointing. It's different how it looks. You see, Elijah was very different to Elisha, and I'll show you why. But, uh, and so we can't, you know, we can't do the things that our country did 60 years ago, 100 years ago when there were revivals, expecting it to bring revival now. If we sing the same songs, if we have church the same way, we do the same things. It's not about what we do. It's about the Spirit of God who remains the same. And the Spirit of God is hovering, is brooding, and he wants to move and stir people up today. And I believe God will raise us up, church, as a mighty army. Who's with me on this? If you're a follower of Jesus, I really hope, hope you're hungering for a revival. The kind of revival where, where souls are saved, where the presence of God is so powerful, you know. And so Elisha, he knew straight away what this meant. And so he does something. He takes that mantle, that cloak, that coat of Elijah. And do you know what? He never lays down that mantle all of his life. He doesn't just take it and wear it at the weekend like a Sunday, do you know what I mean, like a Sunday hero. He takes that mantle and he never lays it down to the point where he burns his oxen. And by the way, Elisha was a successful businessman. I'll tell you this now, because he had 12 yoke of oxen, that's a lot. You know, how many fields you could plough with 12 yoke of oxen. He had a lot of fields, a lot of land. This is what he does. Elijah throws his coat on him. He burns his oxen as a sacrifice to God, symbolically saying there's no going back to that life. There's no going back. There's only going forward now with what God has for us. And so church, I want to say in, in prophetically, there's no going back. We're moving forward. You know, God is shooting us like an arrow. And we had that word at the beginning of the year. You know, this is a year of adventure and the kind of like uh, faith-filled adventures and kind of like a symbol for that is an arrow. Church, we're on the move. Because God is on the move. And so Elisha, Elisha, he was a, a good man, a humble man. He was a, 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 and I'll show you this, you know, God used him in mighty ways. He was a people person as well. I'll show you that as well. But this is what he did. He took that mantle and he said, you know, there's no going back. There's no going back. And so he takes the mantle. He follows Elijah around. There has to be a kind of like, you know, Elijah didn't just throw the coat on him and said, on your own, son, and then walk off. He, he, he kind of like trained up Elisha, as we've got believers in this country training and raising up other young people and other people. You know, there's this transferring going on. So Elisha's following Elijah around for a while. Uh, he sees Elijah. God used Elijah in mighty ways. He sees Elijah, for example. There's companies of soldiers that the, the uh, Israel king, Israel's king, sends to uh, arrest Elijah because because this is, this is how the mentality was, you know. We're going to follow other gods, like Baal. But if something goes wrong, we're going to blame our God. Do you know what I mean? And so when something goes wrong, we're going to blame our God and we're going to go for Elijah. So anyway, he sends all of these soldiers to arrest Elijah. Elijah calls down fire from heaven and those soldiers are destroyed. I mean, what a man of God. Can you imagine that? That would be on the news, wouldn't it? I would love, sometimes I would love that power. Do you know, if someone's winding you up, fire! No, I don't. But Elijah was very different. You'll see Elisha didn't call down fire when soldiers came to arrest him. You'll see what Elisha did very different. Because it was a different generation. And it was the same anointing, but God was doing something new. God is doing something new, church. God is doing something new. Can you sense it in the spirit? I just sense that something is happening this year. I just feel like 10 days of prayer and fasting is so, so, so exciting. In my life, I can tell you this. I, I can honestly tell you this. That the times of breakthrough, the times when I've seen God move, is on the back of prayer and fasting. And it's not like we're trying to do a hunger strike. God, we're not going to eat until you move. Do you know what I mean? We are, we are hunger striking, Lord. You know, do something. We are just spending time in the presence of God because that's where change happens. We're just spending time worshipping the king. 
We're just spending time with Jesus, do you know what I mean? And uh, that's, where, that's where change, that's where games are changed. This game-changing God of ours is still in the business. And so Elisha follows Elijah around. God takes Elijah up, and I forgot to press the timer. This could go on all morning now. I don't even know how long I've been going on. How long would you say I've been going, church? You liar. You lied. Why, for that, I'm going to say five minutes. <laughs> so Elijah is following Elijah around, and uh, 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 he sees God take Elijah up. And uh, he's got, and Elijah said, listen, if you see me go up, he says, I want a double portion of your anointing. Who wants a double portion of the anointing of Elijah this morning? Who wants a double portion of the anointing of the Welsh revival? Eh? And God's not going to do it the same way, but it's the same anointing. It's a different age, a different generation, but it's the same God who reaches people and saves people. And so he says, I want a double portion. And so uh, Elijah says, well, if you see me when I go up, then you put it this way, you've got the double portion. So Elisha, the first thing he does, he takes that cloak of Elijah's and uh, there's a company of prophets, maybe 50 men standing there watching, seeing what's going to happen next, seeing what's going to go on. Elisha does this thing. He goes down to the river and he smacks the river with the coat because Elijah literally just before then uh, uh, hit the river with the coat. The river parted when they went through on dry ground. And so Elisha says, where is the God of Elijah? A simple prayer. And it's not a challenge to God. It's not, it's not a doubting of God. It's a, it's a so people can hear, this is a, a statement of saying, here is the God of Elijah, he is with me. And so he hits that water. And by the way, faith and prayer, and when you can see things, when you speak things, it takes courage to act on those things. And let me tell you this, it takes courage to hit water with a coat. Because if you go down to the river and say, follow me, watch this guys, I'm going to part this river, and you hit the water and nothing happens, you're going to look really silly, aren't you? Do you know what I mean? There's no going back for Elisha. He hits the water, he can't style it if it doesn't part, he can't say, boys, I was just killing a tadpole, it was looking at me funny, do you know what I mean? <laughs> He knows God is with him, and so he acts and what happens? The river parts. And there is a double portion on Elisha. And so he lives this life of faith. He lives this life of seeing things. So let's read. Uh, we're going to fast forward now a few years. And uh, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 to 23. It says this. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those with us are more than those with them. Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed, let this army be struck with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness. Elisha said, this ain't the road or the city with a person you're looking for. Follow me, I'll lead you to who you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. And after he entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open their eyes. And they opened their eyes and they were inside Samaria, surrounded by the king of Israel and his army. So the king said, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Elisha said, don't kill them. Would you kill those you captured with your own sword or bow, your own guests? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast, and after they finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. Listen to this for a game change. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Elijah calls down fire 
The soldiers are destroyed. Two times, three times, and the next commander comes, begs for his life, and Elijah finally goes with him. Elisha sees this, sees Elijah doing this, but he wants to do things, you know, God wants to do something in a different way, same anointing, same God, but, uh, and both Elijah and Elisha wanted to bring glory to God, but in different ways. And so Elisha, instead of calling down fire, and he could see the chariots of fire all around him, instead of calling down fire, he has a different plan. And so the servant, you know, who's with Elisha, his first reaction, he sees all of these soldiers. He goes to bed all peaceful. And, you know, they're in a city called Dothan, you know, uh, and they're, they're just there. And they go to bed all peaceful. And he wakes up and he goes outside and uh, in the front garden, they're surrounded by an army, an enemy army that have come to just arrest Elisha. The servant panics. Wouldn't you panic if you were surrounded by an army? Has anybody ever gone out the front door to be surrounded by people who want to kill you? Have you? It's a hard life when you're a policeman, isn't it, man? Do you know what? Actually, true story, that happened to me once. Uh, my mum come to me and she said, hey, there's some friends of yours at the door. So I go to the door and there's 10 people and we've got a little, this, this bit of beef going on. And they've come to try and beat me up. And I'm like, thanks, mum. Do you know what I mean? Thanks, Mum. And so I'm out there, I'm surrounded, and I, I, you know, I do what I do best, and so I, I, I talk my way out of it. And, boys, 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 let's just calm down. Do you know what I mean? My mum just left me right in it. And so <laughs> your first reaction, I can understand the servant is panicky. There's all of these chariots and horses. There's all of these kind of like fierce-looking army, and he's stressed and he's fearful. Elisha's reaction is the unusual reaction here. He's full of calm and peace. And he says, don't worry about it. Those of us are more than with them. And the servant is thinking, there's nobody with us, Elisha. It's just you and me, my friend. Have you been doing this too long? Is it time to retire? There's no one with us. We're on our own. Elisha says this, open his eyes. Sometimes, church, we just need our eyes open to see the world through heaven's eyes. Sometimes we just need to see the reality of a situation, not with our physical eyes, see in the physical we could say, things are really hard, circumstances are really impossible, this cannot happen, you know, my finance is dictating my life right now, or this things are happening, this circumstance is stressing me out, or this is happening, it makes it impossible, I can't see, uh, I can't see souls, being, I can't see this person that I've been praying, but actually start to see through heaven's eyes and you can start to see all things are possible, you could start to see that he and those that are with us are greater than those that are in the world. Open his eyes. And so the servant, his eyes are opened. Can you imagine the peace that must have come upon him? He suddenly sees that surrounding this army of Aram is an army of, of heaven's army. And uh, you know what I mean? Like probably ten foot angels and massive horses. And, and you just get this confidence when you see that those are with us are greater than those in the world. If I was a servant, I'd get proper leery then. You know what I mean? So confident. I'd be like, I'll take all of you on Aram. You know what I mean? The confidence that came upon him. And church, I want us to see, to start to see through heaven's eyes. And the best way to do that is when we're praying and fasting together. I want to stay honestly engage in this prayer and fasting. Join in, plug in. Let's begin to believe. I believe we'll see some of these 7 o'clock in the morning prayer meetings or 7 o'clock in the evening prayer meetings just really full of us, just hungry for God. And, and just crying out and beginning to see Exeter, Exmouth, Devon through heaven's eyes and start beginning to speak from that. So Elisha, he did three things. The first thing he did is that he saw. He saw the world through heaven's eyes. 
He saw through heaven's reality. And then this is what he did. I love it. He's like, open the servant's eyes and close the army's eyes. Can you see the contrast there? So the servant's eyes are open and suddenly this confident army, we've just got to arrest one man. He's quite aged and uh, he's unarmed. And this is an easy job, boys. It doesn't get easier than this. We're going to Dothan. We're going to arrest one man. Couldn't be easier. Can you imagine the confidence that the servant had? Fill him up, drained out of the army when Elisha prays a simple prayer, God blind them. And then suddenly they can't see. The confidence would have drained from them right there and then because then they suddenly realised this is no ordinary man, this is a man of God. Simple prayer. Elisha lived in communion with God and when we see his prayers, they're always so simple. Lord, blind him. Lord, open his eyes. Lord, do, do you know what I mean? Just really simple prayers in church. We can pray simple prayers in faith. They have so much effect and power in the heavens because our God hears our heart. Our God is the one who does miracles. Our God is the one who will revive us. We can't do it. We need God. But this is what I believe. In the name of Jesus, I believe we're coming into a season where if we just let God, let God do something, let God loose in this city. Let God loosen the city. And so he, he blinds them, and uh, God blinds them, and Elisha leads them to Samaria. We're talking about 12 miles south of Dothan. Blind hike for 12 miles. Do you know how far that is? That's a long way, isn't it? And they're all just like, Elisha's going this way, this way, boy, watch out, bump in the road, keep going. 12 miles, I don't know how long that took. And then Elisha says, open their eyes, and he does something. He feeds them, he blesses them, he sends them away. That was the most peaceful disarmament in history. Aram starts, uh, stops invading Israel at that point. They came after Elisha because the king was trying to attack Israel all the time. And he kept getting thwarted. His plans were coming to nothing. He's like, what's going on here? And one of the officers, Elisha previously healed an officer in the army of the king of Aram. And so somebody who was there said, you know what, there's this geezer in Israel. He's probably telling the king of Israel stuff that you say even in your bedroom. 3,000 years before MI6 could bug a bedroom, God is telling Elisha what he's saying in his room. And their plan changes. The king of Aram is like, right, forget Israel and the king. We need to get this fellow Elisha if we want any success in Israel. What does Elisha do? He sees. He sees, and because he sees, he's not stressed. He's not panicky. He's not, like, fearful. He sees this army, but he sees that God is with us. The servant, church, the servant went to bed all safe. He woke up, and he was surrounded by death. Do you know, life is so unsure, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? We're not even promised four score or whatever. And I, I just, this is what I really believe, and, and like, I try and live my life by this. I think we should try and make every day count for Jesus. You know, every day count for Jesus. The, the servant didn't know what was going to happen. He, he, he didn't know that there was going to be an army surrounding him. You don't know what's going to happen this week. I just say, let's just give it all. Let's just, let's just nail our collars to the mast. Let's just throw it in to the camp of Jesus. And let's say, we're all in. We're all in for everything, Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Let's just give it, let's just, in our prayers, in our time of prayer and fasting this season, let's just say all in. You know what, Jesus? Here we are. We believe you're going to move. Use me. Send me. Here I am. Make every day count. A fella called Frank Jenner. Has anybody heard of Frank Jenner? I'm going to tell you about Frank Jenner. He was a guy, an, an Englishman, but he was in the Navy. And he, uh, he was posted in um, uh, Australia. And uh, he took, he got saved. And there, there was one particular street in Sydney. He just used to go around asking people this one question. If God demanded your life in the next 24 hours, would you be in heaven or hell? 
It's a particular style of evangelism he had in the 30s and uh, whatever, whenever it was, and God used him in that way. And by the way, people tried to copy him, true story, and they used to, and, and this one person was saying, you know, I went up to somebody and said what Frank Jenner said, and they punched me in the face. And so I want to say, we don't copy what people did. God wants to do something in his way, in our way, you know, in a new thing. But what I'm saying, Frank Jenner was just asking people that question, getting people to think about eternity. He didn't think anybody took notice. Fast forward 10 years in the 50s, somebody's doing a meeting in England and he starts to share his testimony about when he got saved. I was in the Navy. I was walking down the street in Sydney. Some random fella come up to me and asked me, would I be in heaven or hell? And I gave my life to Jesus, you know, three weeks later. Somebody else in that same meeting stood up and said, that happened to me. That's how I got saved. And so he starts doing research and he finds people all over the world in India, in America, in Africa that had given their life to Jesus in this street in Sydney. Including, by the way, the founder of the Jesus Army in this country. And so they go up to, he goes up to Frank Jenner and he says, Do you know, I got saved because of what you said to me and I've been all around the country. And these all, all the people and all the nations that have been affected because of that question you asked. He burst into tears. He didn't think one person got saved in what he did. And because of his heart for eternity, because of his heart to kind of like share the gospel and do what God was doing in his generation to use him, people were, uh, lives were changed. Simple prayers, simple things, but when God blesses it, there's no kind of like, there's no limit as to what God can do. So we pray big, we see the unseen, we see life through heaven's eyes, and then uh, this affects how we speak now. So he saw, he spoke. Another story, Elisha, uh, there's a famine, and guess who the king of Israel blames for the famine? Elisha. He worships the Baal, he worships other gods, when something goes wrong, it's God's fault. That's the logic of humanity, do you know what I mean? And so he comes up, he's looking for Elisha, he wants to destroy Elisha, but Elisha speaks this word in faith because he can see heaven's reality. And the famine is so severe, by the way, that a donkey's head costs 80 shekels, costs about uh, uh, 175 uh, kilos, uh, grams of silver for a donkey's head. It said seed pods, 80 shekels, about, uh, about a fiver in today's money, for half a pint of seed pods. Do you know what a seed pod is, church? Shall I tell you what a seed pod is? It's basically dove droppings, okay? So the famine was so severe, you'd have to spend like 120 quid to buy a donkey's head, or you'd have to spend a fiver for half a pint of dove. Boom! And that is a severe famine. Elisha speaks this word. The king's coming to kill him. And Elisha says, by this time tomorrow... You will get about 15 litres of flour for a couple of quid. And about 30 litres of barley for a couple of quid. That is impossible. That is impossible. And the officer who's with Elisha, uh, with the king, he says that even if God was to open the floodgates, could that happen? No, because when there's a famine, gradually prices, when it improves, you see a gradual uh, decrease in price as supply and demand, you know, there's a gradual thing. But in 24 hours, God is going to reverse it. That is impossible in the earth's eyes, in the world's eyes. Elisha sees something different. He speaks by this time tomorrow. Where's it going to happen? In Samaria. The very place, by the way, where they're having to cook and eat their own children because the famine is that bad. What does God do? In this impossible situation... Elisha speaks this word, and a few lepers at the gate of Samaria 
start to say to themselves, listen, we're going to die here. We may as well go over to Aram. Let's just see if they give us anything because we're going to die anyway. And they go there and they see the Aram's camp is just completely empty with thousands upon thousands of tents with all the clothes and all the food and all the silver and all the money left. And, and, and they can just see that there's been a panic because the army of Aram have clearly fled, dropping everything and they've gone. The lepers, are, and these are the outcasts. These are the ones you know, that are rejected by society. They're going from tent to tent. They're loving it. They're eating what they can. They're getting what they can. And then they say, you know what? We need to go and tell the rest of the country this because God has done something here. And so they go and tell Israel. And what happens? Elisha speaks this word by this time tomorrow. And he says to the officer, by the way, you are mocking what God can do. You'll see it, but you're not going to taste it. And what happens? They tell, the lepers tell Israel, there's a stampede. The officer who mocked God, he was trampled to death. He saw it, but he didn't taste it. And all Israel was reversed. The situation was reversed in a day. God reverses it. And uh, uh, 15 liters of the finest flour costs two quid. You can, you can take your dove droppings and you can take them back to where you got them because I want some flour now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want this donkey head I want meat, good meat, and I can buy good meat now. And so within a day, God reversed. Did you know, church, God can reverse a situation in an instant. We put our timings on God. We pray. We cry out for revival, for example. And we think God can hear. God can hear, but it could take this. And we, we kind of like put our human timings on everything. If you look at the situations and the circumstances through natural eyes, like the officer, you will say this is impossible. But when you see through heaven's eyes, you can begin to speak a different reality. And you can say, God is going to reverse the situation. We're going to see souls saved. We're going to see a move of God. My finances are going to be healed. My health is going to be healed. These people I've been praying for, they're going to be saved. God can do it in an instant. He's the God that can turn around. Do you know this? One of the names of God, you find it in the book of Esther, how he reversed the situation for the Israelites. God reversed that situation. Elisha saw it and he spoke it in faith. Faith has a sound. Here's what faith doesn't sound like. It's never going to happen. It's too hard. Woe is us. And uh, I don't like the way things are going. I don't like That's called moaning. This is what faith sounds like. God is moving this year, church. God is moving. I'm excited for what God is doing. There's new people coming. I'm excited. I believe that the church is going to be packed. Not just this church. I believe ex- I believe churches all over the region of Devon are going to be packed. I believe people are going to be saved. And you get around faith and it affects you, doesn't it? And you want to be around people of faith. And when you're around people of non-faith, people of moaning and whining and, and, and speaking in the negative and seeing the world through earthly eyes, it kind of affects you as well. But when you speak and when you're around people that see the world through heaven's eyes, faith rises up. And so he speaks this. And then this uh, famine is completely reversed. And, uh, you know, I was reading a story this week uh, of a a couple of elderly ladies, 84 and 85 years old. And uh, they had this kind of like burden for the Isles of uh, the Hebride Isles in Scotland. And so they would meet every Tuesday and Friday from 10 p.m. till 3 in the morning praying, praying for the Hebrides Islands. And they saw something in the spirit. These elderly ladies, just two of them. And this is what they said. So they see through heaven's eyes and they begin to speak and they begin to go to the ministers and say, listen, we've seen a vision that the Hebrides are going to be revived. This happened in the 40s. We've seen a vision. We believe God is moving. 
And so they go up to some church ministers and said, we've seen this vision. We've seen this strange looking man preaching in the pulpit. And we've seen the places filled with people being saved. Do you know in the churches in the Hebrides at that time, there was not one single, not one single young person in the churches. And so this strange looking man, his name is Duncan Campbell, he came to preach and he was sharing. He said, listen, I was preaching in one meeting and uh, this church could hold 800 people. There was like maybe 200 people, 250. And I preached and I thought, you know, that was okay. It wasn't brilliant. And I preached from 10, uh, a half 11 at night. You know, I released the people. And I thought, oh, you know, they sent me over here because they said there's going to be revival. But, you know, that was it. And, and uh, it just seemed like a bit of an anticlimax. Do you know the church left that building at 11.30? They went outside. And 500 people were waiting outside, not because of anything that was advertised. It wasn't advertised. But because the Spirit of God was moving on people's lives. And they were in the dance halls, these young people, by the way. Do you know what I mean? Give, I don't know how they dance in the 40s. Not like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> not like my dad dancing. Do you know? They were dancing. They left the dance halls because they had an urging of the Holy Spirit and just started crying and walking along the roads of the Isles of Hebrides to this building. And so he said, that place was packed and we preached till two, three in the morning. He said, then I got somebody else running in from outside and saying, you need to come to the police station. For some reason, coaches started turning up at the police station, by the way, which was next door to where these old ladies lived that were praying. And another 500 people waiting at the police station saying, how do we get saved? Could God reverse the situation in an instant? From that moment on in the Hebrides, the dance halls were empty and the churches were packed. Because of what God did. This is what God can do. So Elisha saw. Elisha spoke. And the last thing is, Elisha stirred. Do you know what I mean? If you're a stirrer in the natural, that means you're annoying. You love to stir a bit of trouble. And you love to like, do you know what I mean? Don't go near him. He's a stirrer. And he loves a bit of, uh, he loves to gossip. And, but actually what I mean by stir is a good thing in terms of he stirred the people up to action. He stirred and encouraged. And I want us to stir this morning, church. And I want us to say, listen, I'm hungry for what God wants to do. I'm hungry for revival. I want to be a part of that. I want to engage in the 10 days of prayer and fasting. So Elisha, he's at this deathbed. He never took that mantle off of Elijah. He didn't go back to his business or anything like that. He kept that mantle. He kept serving God for 45, up to 55 years. Uh, we're not quite sure. So maybe 50 years of serving God and serving Jesus and bringing glory to God before his own glory, by the way. And being a, people, a person who loved people. And so that incident with the Arameans. He made friends with the king of Aram after that. And on the king of Aram's deathbed, Elisha was going to visit him. Because he loved people. He was a people person. We hear about the widow that he took care. Uh, and he, he spoke a miracle into her life. The Shunammite. And uh, a widow of one of the ladies who was in trouble with debtors. And he took care. He had a heart for people. And so on his deathbed, he's still serving God. And the king of Israel, who, by the way, Jehoaz, Jehoash, was young and uh, he was a bit unwilling to take risks. But he knows Elisha's dying, even though he's serving the idols and backsliding. He decides he's going to come and see this Elisha. He is God's man. You know, he is the man of God after all. And, uh, you know, he is, he is our, our kind of like prophet. So he goes to see him. And he says, Elisha, oh, the, the, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, probably referring to that. Incident when Elijah was taken up, probably referring to the fact that Elijah's going to die soon. Elisha says this. Listen, kid. You've been... He didn't say that exactly. He says, listen, you've been unwilling to take a risk. And now Aram is regrouping and Aram is, is attacking and Aram through this new king, uh, this other king uh, that, 
you know, that wasn't friends of Elisha, if you like. This new king, Anaram, is attacking and oppressing us. You need to do something about it. This is what I want you to do. I want you to fire three uh, arrows out of the east window. The east is in the direction of where the Assyrians are kind of like um, uh, oppressing Israel, where they've taken their lands and towns and where they're camping. And he fires three arrows. That was symbolic of God was turning his face against Iran. And then he says this, take some arrows and strike the ground. And so this young king, Jehoash, uh, who's, who's not really willing to take a risk yet, he's getting stirred up. And Elisha's saying, this is going to be your victory over Aram, so strike the ground. And he only strikes it three times. Elisha was angry. Why didn't you strike it seven, six or seven times? That would have been six or seven victories over Aram. That would have been total victory and freedom. Only three times means only three victories, but at least it's the freedom. At least God is moving. But Elisha was angry, which means the king understood the power of the symbolism that was going on in Elisha's bedroom on Elisha's deathbed. Here's the thing, church. Never underestimate what God is doing when we are just praying together. When somebody speaks a prophetic word, when somebody says something symbolically, don't lessen it. Don't make it nothing, but really believe and speak it, see it, and really believe that what's happening when we come together in prayer is literally, literally, physically affecting the world around us. The king had a problem with seeing that. And so he's probably embarrassed hitting that arrow on the floor. Probably a bit lazy, you know. One, two, three, there you go. And by the way, Israel only had three victories over, over Aram after that. You can see at the end of the chapter. God wanted to do something big. So church, Elisha saw heaven's reality. He spoke the word of God. He spoke heaven's reality. He spoke words of faith. And finally, he stirred to action. Because if we're just going to pray for the rest of our lives and not actually tell anybody about Jesus and not actually share our story, you know, at some point we have to stir each other to action. So here's what I want to encourage us to do, church. I want us to believe in this season God is moving. I want us to believe in this season and begin to see the realities around us through heaven's eyes. I want us to start speaking words of faith to each other. Speak words of faith. And when we're praying and fasting together and somebody's prophetically speaking, don't lessen it. Don't make it nothing. But really believe that it's having an effect in the physical realm. It's having an effect in this city, in this county, in this nation, in this world. Really begin to see this. Over 100 years ago, a group of young people were praying. And one young person, 26 years old, Evan Roberts, started to pray, God, bend me, which means, God, uh, use me, mold me, change me. Begins to cry out, you know, and there's a hunger of God in that prayer meeting. And some of the young people start crying, and there's a real tangible presence of God. And, uh, you know, uh, there's such a feeling and a hunger for God, people start coming to the meeting. And basically, in less than a year, what's known as the Welsh Revival, we're talking 100,000 souls saved. For decades after that, some of those chapels in the valleys in Wales were still full. They were still putting extra chairs out in the aisles 30 years later because of what God did in this such a short amount of time. In less than a year, 100,000 souls. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine in less than a year, 100,000 souls saved in Exeter? We'd have to build new buildings and meet in the open air and it's raining. and it's, Do you know what I mean? Like, it would be amazing. Out of that move of God, by the way, there was people in those meetings that went all over the world, including to California and a, a little meeting in Azusa Street, so an African-American church uh, uh, pastor by the name of, we call him One-Eyed Willie, 
And uh, I forgot his name, Willie. You should know. <laughs> Azusa Street, what's his name? He forgot as well. And uh, we'll call him One-Eyed Willie. He has a meeting in Azusa Street. Only like over maybe 20, 25 people are there. The power of God falls. They begin to speak in other tongues. They don't just have a party. What they do is God begins to stir them up. From Azusa Street, from the Welsh Revival, from Azusa Street, movements were birthed all over. They started to get a real sense that Jesus is coming soon. So we need to preach the gospel. They started to get a sense of, you know, uh, uh, God wants to move. Jesus is coming soon. We need to preach that gospel. And so all over the world, missionaries were sent out with a new urgency and a new passion to preach the gospel. From that moment in 1907 to today and counting, over 800 million people have given their life to Jesus. The biggest move of God in history. More people saved in the last 100 years than have ever been saved in Christian's history. Who wants to be a part of that church? God's not finished with this country yet. There are still revivals. He doesn't want to do exactly the same as that he did in the Welsh. So if you start praying, God bend me, God bend me, and you start doing, copying people, that's not how it works. How it works is our God is the same. God, use me in my generation. Use my mouth. Use my action. And we begin to see, we begin to speak, we begin to stir. Amen? I'm hungry for it, church. You hungry? Ten days of prayer and fasting. Let's do this. Let's do this. I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you time. You know, if you've never received Jesus, I'm going to give you that opportunity first. Jesus is alive. That's a fact. You can go to Israel. You'll not see a grave of Jesus. You can go to other people's tombs from the time of Jesus. Over 100, uh, you know, uh, uh, over 100 respected rabbis and teachers, Gamaliel, you can go to their tombs. You can't go to the tomb of Jesus. It's empty. He's not in the tomb. Jesus is alive. And he died for our sins and he rose again so we don't need to fear death. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your faith in Jesus and know right now that he wants to rescue you for eternity. Forever. And so I want to ask you that question. If God was to take your life in the next 24 hours, would you go to heaven or hell? I'm going to give you a good opportunity right now. We want to go to heaven, church. So let's just do this. We want to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. So just pray this prayer with me in your heart. Father, I thank you that you loved us so much. That you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. That you've made a way for me to receive your life. Your eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. So I turn my back on all the wrongdoing I've done in my life. And I turn to you, Jesus, and I receive you. Come into my life, Jesus. Lead me in my life. 